Hello and welcome to the Horus Heretics. I'm William. I'm Neil. And today we're discussing the first in the series of uh, the short story anthology. So this is book 10 in the series. It's called Tales of Heresy. Um, and the, the kind of blurb for this gives us... Uh, tells us that we're going to learn stuff we didn't know about the emperor and things like that and um i kind of thought it was going to be much more about the 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 backstory um like sort of the time before the 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 time of the heresy which it, it kind of is just about the same time as the events that we've read about so far uh but yeah it, so it's short stories neil yeah. what do you think about short stories oh well i, I was just gonna say that i i hadn't read that blurb um and i didn't know what the theme tying all the stories together was um and i thought that would be an interesting thing to find out along the way but now i know <laughs> so, um, well no i in terms of short stories i really like them um i'm a fairly recent convert to them like back when we were reading these books for the very first time whenever <laughs> well i basically avoided the short stories because I, I was just like no i want to i want to a novel, one full lengther, not interested in short stories. And then um, I can't remember which book it was, but I'm now just a, a big fan of them. So I read uh, quite a lot. I like that they're uh, short. I like that they're normally about one thing. And I like in a series of short stories that they're, they're all directed at telling something. They all have a, a, a thread that runs through them and they... Uh, sort of butt, uh, butt up against that thing in different ways and uh, I like that yeah cool yeah, I, I don't actually read um, many short stories but it's n- not for any particular reason but um, it just it just reminded me there when you were talking about them did you did you do English literature at uni at all no no right so I did I mean obviously I ended up uh, doing single honours history but I did um English wit for a couple of years and uh, I remember that there being the idea that like you know within the reading that you'd get for a particular course so you, you didn't you didn't really have to read everything you were supposed to read everything but you could you could get through the various assessments with just reading certain things and there was uh, the idea that a short story collection was good to go for because you could just read like three of the short stories and that would be enough for an essay. Yeah. But, um, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Any way for the easy way out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, no, short, I don't read a lot of short stories, but I feel like I should. And there's just so few of them about. I, I think they sell so badly <clears throat> that um, bookstores and stuff just don't have them. They're a big thing in sci fi, though. Um, like you know, you you go into charity shops and there's generally always quite a few old, um, you know, best sci-fi of nineteen seventy-three type books <laughs> yeah. around. Um, it seems to be a, a common thing in sci-fi, and and like I guess in like a lot of um, sci-fi like periodicals and stuff, it's like short stories and things like that. Oh yeah, yeah. The, there's a whole there's a whole world to get into, especially that. Um, for an, another thing, I was digging around on archive.com and I fell upon this, I can't remember the name of it, uh, but it's a it's a British quarterly or maybe, I think it's quarterly now, but it used to be a monthly sci-fi periodical. And um, yeah, it's full of just like short stories. And a lot, I was reading through some of them and a lot are just trash. Um, 
But every now and again, there's some really, like, really weird and really interesting stories. And uh, yeah, I think I think we're both into the into the idea of seventies British sci-fi because I know you are a big two thousand AD fan and stuff like that. And I think it's all wrapped up together in that kind of thing. Yeah, um, and I, I I mean I think we've we've at least speculated that this might be the case before that uh, short stories might actually be the ideal format for this setting. Yeah, um, and. While there are good and bad points, I mean, we've only covered two. There's like seven, seven I think, stories in this book. Mm-hmm. We've covered two, which includes one that I think is the biggest one by some distance. Uh, but um, and two very, very different things, and I have like just vastly different opinions on them. Yeah, like uh, that's what I was going to say. I have good and bad opinions about what we've read, but it, I feel like it has confirmed my overall opinion that I think short stories work well with this setting because there's a lot of times as we've, you know talked about on here that there are characters who aren't really very good when you spend 400 pages in the presence of them but can can be passable for a you know 50 pages with with a short story that just has one kind of totally main point to it you know uh, and and we're never we're never introduced to them we're always just introduced in the middle of a story and we learn what they're like as the story goes along there's no yeah. sort of first 30 pages telling us of how brave this legion are uh, because well first off who cares because they're all brave and second we'll we'll see that for ourselves so i think i i sort of agree with you at least on the basis of the two stories that we've read yeah um and one little other side note before we get started is that uh, i ordered this book um but it didn't arrive in time. It didn't arrive at all. I've got a refund actually. But um, it's uh, so I had to. I, I signed up for an Audible account um, to get the audiobook version of it because um, I thought I thought the book might still arrive. So I didn't want to like buy the book again. And um, so I've listened to these two stories as an audiobook, uh, which I don't listen to audiobooks very much. Certainly not um, fiction audiobooks. Do you, Neil? I I used to a lot, but um, I've always found that they re- they require as much uh dedication as much um sort of mental brain power as reading the book um and i find that i often would drift off and lose a paragraph or something and also i just don't have time whereas in work i can listen to music or podcasts or something yeah um, i can't listen to audiobooks you know they just take up too much concentration no, I, I totally agree like um i find it actually quite hard to just sit and listen to in my house because um yeah like you say it requires that amount of concentration so you can't really do something else while you're doing it you yeah. know I, but i kind of feel like i want to be occupied doing something else which is when you're obviously actually reading a book you are um, physically occupied with doing that you know you're, you're holding it and turning well, the pages and so on so like yeah well when, one one thing i did whenever i moved to london for the first time was just like uh walk by the local neighborhood and stuff and sort of learn it as i would listen to audiobooks and learn like my route to work and like the areas around it and stuff so it's good for for that kind of thing as well yeah i was i was gonna say the the same thing that actually I find it much easier to get engaged with an audiobook when 
um, I'm walking. Like when I'm engaged with walking, then I can sort of my brain can focus in more on the on the um, the the audiobook. But a uh, one sort of I don't know if this happens to you, but one like slightly strange effect of that is like I feel like you get um, you can get like the the mental world of the story melded with like in your memory with whatever place you happen to be when bits of it were happening. <laughs> oh shit. That sounds great. <laughs> so I have like um a bit of the first story we're covering blood games like happens in Marks and Spencer's food court for me. <laughs> <laughs> in amongst the aisles. <laughs> um, but, uh, one one fellow was misted when I was making an impulse purchase <laughs> at the tills. <laughs> <laughs> reaching for for a gourmet pizza, <laughs> his hand was yeah. blown off. Chewing gum for the blood god. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, well, I wanted to ask you if you have listened to um, in the past fiction audiobooks. Like, is it normal for the narrator to? Uh, sorry, the like, well, the the reader of the of the book yeah. to. Um, to do accents for characters when they speak dialogue, or is it more normal for them to just do that in their normal voice? Um, I would say it's no- more normal for them to do accents. Right, because um, there's certainly a use of accents. Oh, really? See, that I was, I was going to say, like, is it shit or is it actually good? Because uh, a good audiobook is really in the hands of the reader. Um, yeah. And it can make or break something. Yeah, I mean... And this, these books would be hard to, to, to read well. Well, like, there's there's moments where, like... So, we'll get on to it. The Space Wolves have Scandinavian accents um, when they come in. And there's, like, a guy with a... In the first story, I think, with a kind of Japanese-sounding name. And this guy oh, no. does a sort of Japanese accent e- from... And I was like, this, like... I'm, like... I'm not sure what the convention is here, but this, like, seems a bit like... Uh, it just sounded weird because um, the guy's the guy presumably is like some middle aged like white you know jobbing Shakespearean actor, <laughs> um, and then he's just like suddenly goes into this voice and I'm like, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't sure really how to react to that because I was like I can understand he's obviously taken a cue from the name of that character. I don't know where the decisions come from, but I was just like, I, I kind of just think like I would rather he just did the the dialogue in his own voice and uh, like what's it yeah so there's a kind of a Japanese accent for one of the characters in the first book, the, the Space Wolves were given Scandinavian sort of accents. There's the, the, the civilization that the Space Wolves meet in the, sorry, I'm talking about book story, and the second story are given kind of Middle Eastern accents, I think. Right. Um, and then there's like some aliens that are just given sort of... Screechy. Yes, just screechy. <laughs> yeah, 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 screechy uh, monster voices. I get it. And, and, and like the accents here, like I'm not really sure why the... Uh, the people of Antimon were given kind of Middle Eastern accents. It just seemed like a a choice, maybe. I didn't. I, 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 I never picked up that at all. Like, as you know, some of the cultures in this are sort of like totally coded, but I didn't. I didn't pick up on this one being no, Middle Eastern. I, I'm not sure if it was, or if if the reader just it was like, I'll just give them this. I'll choose a random accent yeah. that is different from the, and then the, like the, I think there was a sort of Japanese name that the character had. In uh, the yeah, first. I do remember uh, something along those lines. Doing this has all kinds of cultural baggage that goes along with it. 
and it's just weird to hear. Uh, So anyway, on to the stories. Um, So the first story is called Blood Games. Um, Now, well, let me ask you a question. (laughs) It's a question that Dan Abnett, the author, asks us all. In the first line of the book, the question is this. It's, quies custodiet ipsos custodes? <laughs> now, what's your answer to that, Will? Uh, yes. Just to vomit all over the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we have a Latin stupid phrase in, uh, as a, a sort of, just to lower the tone a bit. <laughs> it's um, That's uh, the phrase made famous in uh, The Watchmen but dollied up and gussied up to try and make it look a bit more highbrow uh, in the original Latin. It's it set the tone for the story. Um, that, yeah. Now go ahead. No, that's kind of a the theme of this story, such as it is, is that like as was said a few times, who are the who are the hounds and who are the wolves, basically, right? Yeah. Like in terms of hunting. Um and yeah, do you want to start with the narrative or? Yeah, so um, we kind of start off with this lone, um, this lone warrior, uh, out in the 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 wastelands almost, um, and it says straight up front that this is a game, but it's been going on slightly longer than these things normally do, and it's been ten months. And he's been following trade routes, global patterns. He's been leaving false trails. He's been um, going in one direction to throw off people that are following him. And he's very certain that they've got absolutely no idea who he, uh, where he is. We don't know why they're looking. We don't know who they're talking about. We don't know who he is. But he finds himself sneaking back into imperial territory. And he thinks that this is some kind of boundary. This is um, this is the sort of first step along the line to what he wants to do. So, um, right, I, I couldn't remember that it said something about it being a game at the very beginning. And if it did, I must have assumed that to mean, like, it is a game in the sense that politics and war can be thought of as a game kind of thing. Sure, right? I, I thought the same. I thought he was um, being hunted and, you know, in his mind, oh, it's all a game because um, mm. he kind of enjoys it because he's clearly a very capable warrior. He's clearly uh, very capable at sort of disguising himself. So, yeah, I thought the same thing. And that, and that was the, I think that was that was meant for us. Yeah, so he um, he is uh, approaching the emperor's uh, palace um, during on, on Terra when Rogel Dorn is in the middle of leading a big building effort to turn it into a fortress, which sort of is the backdrop. Um, and and places this in the timeline of the stories is that the heresy has happened. Dorn knows about it. Uh, Malkador knows about it, and they're preparing uh, Terra for a battle, which they are fairly sure—not certain, but fairly sure—is coming down the pike. Yeah, and um, <laughs> so I don't—I don't know if we've really talked about this Emperor's Palace before, but basically, um, 
it's in the, the Himalayas, which I think somehow is funny to me. It is the Himalayas, though. It basically <laughs> is the whole Himalayas as a yeah. as a palace. It's like massive, right? And um, and so then there's this bit where it does talk about the the whole the entire Himalayas, uh, as far as I could tell, being turned into a palace. And then, well, the, the palace is there, and they actually excavate an entire mountain for supplies to fortify it. Yeah, well, I think it's all, yeah, it's basically the whole mountain range and then they just take another entire mountain out. So there's two pigeons going, like, really fighting each other outside my window. <laughs> anyway, but, um, so, uh, and, yeah, what I thought was funny here was that in the story it just, it talks about how, so basically it says the palace is the, in, is the entire Himalayas turned into a palace. And then the narrator says it's, but it's really the idea of the palace that makes it special <laughs> rather than the architecture. I was like, no, I think it's the architecture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. but what's like, it, that is very true. But what was like, going through this unnamed person's head while looking at the palace, he thought it was the most beautiful thing he'd ever seen, the most awe-inspiring thing. But he also was like, yeah, but in the far-flung corners of the old human empire, there's probably more stupendous buildings I was like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, yeah. But he, he didn't think they were uh, as beautiful because they didn't, like, house the emperor. And, of course, some of the building materials being used for this are, um, or that were used for this palace, are things like adamantium. Yeah, and, sure. Uh, and, as uh, so a quote, stairwells planed from solid pieces of onyx. Um, so <laughs> right. that... You don't, you don't, you don't plane off stairwells. That's, that's not what a plane is for. Um, um, this this unnamed sort of protagonist is sneaking his way into uh, deeper and deeper within into the core of this site, basically, um, and he's adopting different identities to do so and stuff. At one point, he kills. I can't remember what they were called, but it was like gene genetically modified workers. They were called uh, uh, Migu, um, and they were yeah, they're like bulked out. Uh, it it was it, it felt a bit awkward because you're at the Himalayas and they were called like hulking brutes, and I I felt that it was kind of like coded to be sort of Mongol um, warriors almost. Um, and he basically calls them all bar- barbarians, and it's all kind of uh, it goes alongside him as being called a Caucasian, yeah, uh, on multiple occasions. Now, sure, he could be from the Caucasus and stuff, but yeah, um, I would, it was just awkward. I did, I don't know why it was there. It was, I, I, yeah, the Caucasian thing certainly I picked up on that, and that was awkward. But um, yeah, he he. Like he, he gets into a drug deal with them. <laughs> Basically, it goes wrong, and one of them grabs him, and it looks like it's curtains for him. It says, uh, "The third Migu grabbed him from behind in an earth sign hug." Now that's a bear hug, really. Isn't it? <laughs> but again, Dan Amnet never want to ungutty a simple phrase. Um, but he basically like turns into uh, just a killing machine and. Puts his hand into this dude's chest and rips out his heart with his hand, full on Temple of Doom. And then he like uses he uses their bodies somehow to trick uh, 
like a biometric scanner and get into the building site is that correct or no he, he uses the drugs that they use um and he takes a massive overdose and um that allows him to get through the scanners which search for alive people um, right and he had timed how long it would take and he had guessed at how long he would be out for and his in- incredible biology uh, which I, it was the first thing that sort of was like oh okay he's an Astartes of some kind um, his yeah his biology just like processes that drug and he's tipped up within a few minutes so he, so he gets deeper it gets sort of through the building site into the actual palace and he's sort of going through um like these huge spaces that some of which are so big they contain their own mini weather systems <laughs> yeah that's right i forgot about that and, and he, he's avoiding the custodies which i think is the first time we've heard of the custodians no i think there was mention i think in that one some of them got killed or were at least in a fight in that weird scene in one of the books where someone sort of goes back to the scene of the emperor trying to what the hell one was it again it's like they get there through some sort of magic basically but they mm-hmm. go back to a scene where the emperor is trying to or like the scene when the oh, emperor Horus goes back in time yeah and like it's a, I think yeah it's the point where like the the primarchs are about to get scattered across the yeah the universe I think and I yeah. think I think some of them were mentioned there and possibly like at least mentioned in other places but this is the first sort of really substantial look at them, I guess. Totally. They're, and they're like in, in sort of golden Roman centurion armor. They're they're Astartes, as far as I can tell. They are the same as Astartes. Well, it's a, it says that they were like a... They're like bigger than Astartes, but they're kind of like... They were a sort of more raw version of the genetic process that went on to be used to oh, make the okay. starters so it did say something about that at one point but yeah they're they're definitely created through a similar process but they're slightly different in build and, and stuff yeah. and and they are the the personal guard of the emperor and it said that their their armor has like an image from the time of unification so they are the warriors who helped the emperor sort of rise to power and then the emperor sort of blessed them with this genetic modification stuff <coughs> so they're they're the the loyal of the loyal i think is the the thing to take away from that so yeah they're like the elite guardians of the the emperor and so they're looking they're patrolling about in the palace and this the protagonist is trying to um avoid them and it becomes pretty clear that he is trying to home in on the emperor himself within I, the palace. I didn't think it was the Emperor. Oh really? Yeah, I just thought it was someone. I to be honest, I think it was Malkador, but I don't think it was the Emperor. But it was talking about this guy having these um superlative psychic powers that and and the way that it didn't mention him made me think, well it's obviously the Emperor in that sort of coy way that they're like this being of um immense power who you kind of he does kind of come up towards him but he doesn't look directly at him uh, when he, he does like make it all the way to to where this person is I thought it was the emperor but um, it isn't said d- at any point I think specifically who who it doesn't name it anyway but no. I, I thought it was it was, I, it was maybe you're right maybe the fact that they don't name him 
does imply that it's the emperor. You know, just like they, they, they sort of just treat him as some sort of uh, massive power rather than like a body. Uh, so maybe you're right. But I, I wanted to pick up something that really just set my teeth on edge and I just thought was so shit was um, he wears an invisible cloak called a falsehood and it's a false hood. And <laughs> it was just like, that is some, that's sub Harry Potter bullshit. Like, honestly, <laughs> that is bad. Anyhow, they are, he he gets all, all the way into um, uh, who, what, who, his target and then custodies come at him and. Uh, yeah, his, his target is reading a codex, which is a book. <laughs> Oh yeah, he's got he's a massive book, a really large one. I think yeah, an enormous codex. <laughs> <laughs> he's sheltering in the lee of an enormous codex. <laughs> and uh, uh, so the the custodians capture this person, put him in a prison cell, and then surprise, he is a custodian. Yeah. Um, I, at that no, at this point, this was all perfectly clear. I don't think. It, it 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 was written with the the air of revelation, but I I knew this. I I can't remember at what point I knew. It. I didn't know it initially, but um, I think as it was coming up to the point of revelation, it was it was pretty clear. I think yeah. Um, and a so he, he starts speaking to someone who's turns out he's called Amon Taramachian, and he's part of the like, I can't remember what they called them, like the inner circle or whatever of the custodians. And he's talking to Constantine, who's the head of them. Um, and turned out what he was involved in was uh, what they call blood games, which was like a form of kind of training, but also testing of their defences yeah. um, around the emperor. So A they, really interesting concept, I think. Yeah, so they... Uh, they so he, the other ones, he he got as further than anyone has ever got, I think, or at yeah, least. Yeah, that's right. And and they are they're like debriefing him so that they can see the holes in their defense and uh, make changes accordingly. And that goes all the way up to Dorne as well. Yeah, um, uh, but he yeah. So they started like I think in a different land altogether, and they had to make their way on their own all the way into the heart of the palace and see how far they could get. But he, he got really far. Um, so, I kind of thought that whole thing was going to be the story, you know, like, uh, but it wasn't. That was just a prologue, really. And then it, it sort of cuts to the second part of the story. A big, yeah. The, it, the, there are important things that go missing in these cuts that that, they, that uh, Dan Abnett makes. But... Uh, Amon is like I've been away for 10 months I want to get straight back into the action so he goes to like this kind of spy room which is like the intelligence center where all of these uh, data inputs are being uh, uh, looked over and and probed for any kinds of heresy or any kinds of sort of uh, ways in for chaos and they find that this guy in a a place called High Brazil, which is, is a good name, I think. I like Sicker, that. Sicker, yeah. Sicker, yeah, that's right. Um, that this guy, Sicker, is um, possibly a uh, some sort of spy. Um, they 
he's got all kinds of um of wealthy land holdings all throughout the galaxy um but he is known to be a critic of imperial policy and so Amon goes with a, a few others <coughs> to investigate him um, and somehow I, I didn't like this use of sort of made up technology they have these uh, like bulk reducing holographic things that make Astartes look like humans and oh, yeah. I, I just don't think that stands up to even the slightest amount of scrutiny like I don't want to be a, a you know a plot hole uh, douchebag <laughs> and you know just like going oh that, that could never happen but this is a this was a little bit too much to swallow I think so you highlighted higher Brazil there and I actually I, <laughs> I have come to really quite enjoy these bits where like, these sort of references to like real places on earth in the in the form they take in like the 31st millennium and uh these like place names that are just yeah. like slightly altered i i like them in so much as it's almost like a little pub quiz it's like okay well, <laughs> you know where where is that like what is that and um but it's not i don't like it as a story <laughs> do you know what i mean like no, it's, it's a little test it's kind of silly uh but well, there was also a reference like when amon was unnamed and he was traveling around in the wilderness outside the imperial area it said that he went to mesopotamia which is a real place and was called that and is now no longer called that but in a few thousand years time will be called that again oh yeah there's a lot of that it's just generally like either take the current real world name of the place and slightly alter it or take an old name of that place and either keep it the same or slightly alter it um but in the course of the discussion of some of these places and so when they're talking about Sikar of high brazil and they were saying he's a bit like like you said he's a bit sort of oh, he opposes sometimes the the um rule of the imperium in, not in like their open rebellion or anything but he's just like that's his sort of attitude but it was like he's not as rebellious as people such as blah 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 and it went on to talk as talk about some of these people and one of them one of them was fucking called, scottish yeah <laughs> i was like it's lady calhoun of lanark and i was like that, that's scotland in the that's got to be scotland in the 31st millennium and i was like there's the setting for our next uh our next uh story neil oh uh, yeah have- <laughs> will it be lanark or high lanark <laughs> I'm per- like Al- Alistair Gray died recently, didn't he? So we should we should throw in a bit of um of his book Lanark into yeah. into that as well. <laughs> I was like, that's brilliant. <laughs> I, I I wrote that down as well because I was just like chuffed, and I actually know somebody uh, whose surname is Calhoun uh, from around Lanark. Um, so that's funny. That's um, so anyway, so so there he basically. The story pretty quickly goes into um, Amon and s- someone else. Someone else, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, going on a mission to. Uh, they're spying. Well, they're they're undercover spies. Yeah, yeah. Investigate this, um, and they they touch down in High Brazil uh, with like documents and uh, their like trade a trade delegation. Yeah, uh, come to have um, important discussions with this guy Sikar, 
and uh, his son is it son comes and meets them and says I'll look after you we're we're going to have some good conversations that's going to be mutually uh, beneficial to us all very well blah 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 and again not a very good use of uh, weirdo technology um, they release worms silver worms that tunnel into data conduits and stuff and start leaching the information that's being passed around high brazil <coughs> and sort of feeding it back to them um and i just mm, i i like the idea i just wish the method was a bit cooler yeah so it's worth pointing out here that um Sikar, i think has in his retinue or as part mm-hmm. of his thing uh a lucifer black who is um we've come across in a previous dan abnett book and um, it's part of a like it was a regiment or something of uh was that is that right it was like a kind the, of yeah they were an old regiment but i think now it again makes mention that they are near extinction and they seem to be the elite of the non-astartes soldiers i think we would call yeah. them that and and they um so they cropped up or at least one of them now, all of the um, all of his family have one uh, Lucifer Black each as a sort of a personal bodyguard. So the main Seacar guy has one himself, uh, but uh, so so does his uh, son, who's sort of taking them around the place. And and that this is ties it back to this story. It was Legion, wasn't it? The book, like yeah, the Alpha yeah, Legion, which is very much um, you know. That is very similar to the story in the sense of it being about plots within plots and spying and subterfuge and, and stuff like that. Um, so, so basically, they correct me. I'm a little bit fuzzy on the exact order of events at this part of the story, but they determined that um, Sikar is in fact a spy. Uh, yes, uh, I don't think we need to go into how that's done. It's uh, it's it's okay. It's just not special, but yeah. They um, discover that he is uh, sending messages back and forth to the Vengeful Spirit, which is, uh, of course, Horace's flagship. And so they're like, okay, (coughs) fair enough. And they go and confront him. That's enough information and evidence to take him in for questioning. And then it's at this point I'm fairly certain... Yeah, they go into the the, the <coughs> sort of Senate area where the head sea car is like holding court and stuff. And they uh, scamper in without being seen using their falsehoods and uncloak themselves and say, um, we accuse you of, uh, of treachery and high treason and that, and you're coming with us. Um, then another one of those cuts and... Um, no, it's, whole, it's Rogel Dorn pops up. Yeah, no, the cut is after. So then you hear Bamf and Rogel Dorn and some Imperial fists teleport in. <laughs> and the, the the use of teleporters isn't quite explained ever. <laughs> um, it seems like very useful technology, <laughs> to, but it's only ever used sporadically. Um, and then, yeah, then it's they're like he is a spy but he's a spy for us 
Yeah. And he's feeding them false information. This I had assumed already, to be honest. <laughs> I, uh, I, I saw everything coming in this story uh, a, a good bit before it happened. So yeah, he's feeding... He's using his reputation as being a bit a bit rebellious in attitude towards the Imperium. They're using that to uh, have him run false information to Horus, pretending he is... Um, yeah. And the whole the whole plot here, I think, is just silly and wrong-headed in that they think if they had just allowed the custodies to take in uh, this C-car guy, then he um, he would look like a traitor and, and Horace would um, find use for him again. Horace would still believe in him. But because they have like shown up to defend him, they've basically told Horace that he has been a spy all along. Yeah, and Do you then, know what I mean? It, it just doesn't make it, it. It's the complete wrong move. Well, that leads to the the conclusion of the story, which is that one of the Lucifer Black guards of um, Sikar or or Sikar's son or whatever um, is an actual ally of Horus and. Upon learning that uh, um, Sikar is is not a real ally of Horus, he proceeds to uh, set off some bombs. Uh, and, and all of this is told in exposition because it cuts away <coughs> and it cuts back and everyone's running out of this uh, chamber that they're in. And then it, through exposition just says what happened. I'm like just, just say what happened in the in the text of the story. Yeah, like, the, the, I I don't understand why he did this. This was confusing for me because this was a I think the point when I was walking around Marks and Spencers and I was hearing it and you're thinking have I just missed a bit here? Or something? <laughs> yeah, you know I mean, like, um, so. But anyway, it finishes up with basically Amon catches the real spy of Horus and kills him, and that's it. It's shit. <laughs> I I thought the the blood game bit was interesting. Definitely something that that can be used there. Thought the custodies seemed quite interesting. I liked the little bit of color they gave about the custodies, um, having names that um, are awarded to them uh, because of their valor, and some uh, as they get older and live for a very long time, their names are incredibly long. Like that little bit of writing. The story was really terrible, though. There was, it was interspersed with really <coughs> ultra short paragraphs about wolves and dogs around the the emperor's palace and the howling of wolves. And like, oh, it was just, you know, who who watches the watchers, the dogs, the wolves? Oh, it was yeah. uh, strained. It was boring. Um, it's didn't flow like the bit where as you say the bit where Amon is stopped from actually killing the person <coughs> would have been an ending and it would have been a very very short story but it would have been pretty good uh this second one could have been its own story it wouldn't have been yeah. very good but they, they don't seem I don't get why they were together yeah yeah no I agree like they uh, so I suppose the sort of link was meant to be that, like, when 
Dorne came and confronted them, they were like, oh, well, I guess what we've been doing is kind of a blood game, even though it wasn't deliberately set up as that. It was, it was just yeah. literally um, poor communication. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Forces. If you just, like, told us, you, you <laughs> strategic general brilliance, yeah. if you just, like, told us what you were doing, then <laughs> this wouldn't have happened. But, yeah, but, uh, yeah so... So yeah, I, but I think they, they could have just focused it on the first bit and made that the whole story because there's a lot of quite interesting stuff like just like the 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 fact that he like kills people in the course of this blood game that is just a sort of simulation thing, but he does yeah. actually kill right. workers and stuff in in um and and just exploring the whole blood games idea a bit I think would have been uh, I- better because that was an, a self-contained kind of idea which I think just. Um, it would have worked as a standalone uh, story. And um, it also says that the Custodes are, do not have the bonds of brotherhood that um, the other legions have. They are much more solitary. And I was like, that, explore that. It would be nice to have, um, yeah, something of just these kind of loners that um, fight for the, the emperor. That being said, if we hadn't heard the second part of the story, we might never have heard of Lady Calhoun of Lanark. Indeed, so, indeed. Anyway, right, unless you've got anything more to say about that, I guess we can go into story number two. Wolf at the Door by Mike Lee. Okay, would you like to introduce us to this story, Neil? So we start off and Imperial forces are sort of marching down this like highway and... Um, Initially, I thought it, it felt like a sort of military parade, but it turns out it was actually it, it was actually real uh, a real military strike that was going on, um, and it set a really nice tone. There was um, a nice uh, description that the imperial forces had been uh, involved in what's called the defeat of the tyrants of Kernunos. <laughs> and those are tyrants and Kernunos, uh, capital letters, so they're proper nouns, tyrants. So presumably they call themselves that. And there's a lot of good colour about the destruction that has been wrought on the planet. There's burned out tanks and burned out war engines and destroyed fields. And this idea of treasure ships that have delivered uh, the wealth of... Uh, many pla- planets back to these tyrants and that there that there are scared refugees running around and stuff as well it um within the space of a paragraph or two set the scene expertly i thought i i was like i'm feeling this story already i mean uh yeah so it's so it's the space wolves that are uh, going to take part in essentially a surrender ceremony by these tyrants um, at their big fortress, or um, I don't know if they know they're going to surrender, but that's what it turns into anyway. And and yeah, I think this bit does have some good ideas and some good images. However, looking back on it um, from the point of view of having finished the story, like now that I come to think about it, this a judicious editing process might have just cut this bit out entirely. Absolutely, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, uh, most of the time is not spent on this planet. Um, and it's just, uh, yeah, it, it, you're absolutely right. It doesn't serve a huge amount of purpose and would have made a snappier story because this felt quite long. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so, so, uh, this having completed this conquest, they're supposed to be 
they get called to go and join the rest of the Space Wolves um, in preparation to go to Prospero, which is referring to um, an upcoming uh, couple of books about the war between the Space Wolves and the Thousand Sons. Um, both but, of both of which legions I am pretty fond of. Yeah, I think that's a fun conflict. Um, <laughs> uh, but like, no, it is because you've got like some real dis- couple of distinctive legions. You know what I mean? You've yeah. got the the um, magic crew and the um, the Vikings. Um, that, that's what they call themselves, the magic crew. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of bunch of b boys, all of them. <laughs> Be great yeah. to have an Astartes Legion, which are just like <laughs> the <magic laughs> body poppers. <laughs> just like, whenever they get like really hyped up before a battle, they're just like doing windmills and stuff, <laughs> laying down some some flattened cardboard boxes with their beatbox and stuff. Be a solid gimmick. A solid gimmick. Um, Another the- idea for the next bonus. <laughs> so, so they uh, they're getting cold to there, but. Um, the the wolf what's he called wolf lord or something the wolf um, lord is called bolve bolve right he he's like no nah, we have got some signals from another planet in this system we're going to check that out first basically um and they do that and uh, they come down to this planet that's called what is it called a, a mantis or something um i not sure i wrote it down it's a planet yeah, it's a it's a planet, um, and it's it's basically I just took this as to be what is it becoming increasingly a kind of standard, elegant civilization that space marines like to destroy. Um, you know, like yeah. usually it talks about their refined, you know, artistry on their garments and stuff. With <laughs> stuff yeah, like that. that's right. Um, so they haven't, they are not uh, in under imperial rule as of yet, and they turn up. And there's generally like, uh, so so a, a small party of uh, the I think nobility or maybe the younger nobility. The, the, the younger nobility, the sons of the of the high nobility, appear in like hover cars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're called like domed individual vehicles so they've all got their own little sort of smart car it's kind of what i just kind of thought they were and they just come up like zipping up with their little electric engines so and they pop up and they're the only people to have answered the the like hails from the space wolves as they came down to the planet yeah and they're just like normal humans and quite a lot of the rest of the populace are just like looking at them as if they're like jesus what are these big bastards in armor this is crazy yeah, so there's like, so they get, I think, the a guy amongst this party of young nobles introduces himself as the son of an important senator or maybe the, the leader of yeah, these people. Of the, the speaker of the Senate. Yeah, and he, um, so they, they, they take them to the Senate um, or they get to the Senate pretty soon in the story. And um, so there's a general air of shiftiness that they're picking up. <laughs> Um, and uh, Bolve, get- Bolve makes this like really kind of like good speech about welcoming them back into the arms of humanity and stuff like that. And the speaker is like, no, nah, not interested. <laughs> and everyone starts shouting and bickering again. Um, they don't, uh, the writers of these books, not, not for 
sort of deliberate uh, deliberative bodies of normal humans it's the soldiery are the best and ev- everybody else are fucking time wasting layabouts but um they and i think in their bickering or when the space wolves had come into the the senate they were talking about the quota or something right so yeah. anyway to to this situation gets unfurled over probably quite a few pages but basically what's going on is um there's a sort of um group of very scary marauding aliens what are they called again they're called the harrowers harrowers that's it who come down to this planet for 200 years they have been coming down to this planet every seven years to basically kill for sport um to, to hunt and torture and yeah for no other reason we can tell uh apart from the actual hunting and torturing presumably they're doing a good bit of looting as well but uh, so they yeah and, and like they conduct this from they've built these massive towers on the planet from where they conduct their hunting when they come down and the the people of this planet have uh, tried to sort of appease them or, or like um sate their need to kill by like giving them a quota of like sacrificing uh, a certain amount of their population to them when they come down so initially they um what did they do they, they well they uh they they uh, dumped out all their prisoners and used them as bait but they find and this was like a really fun little piece of writing they find that in the year before these harrowers were due to return, crime basically stopped <laughs> because it would. Um, and so they were finding that they didn't have enough people to meet their quotas. And so we're arguing over it and they implemented uh, a, a lottery so that some people would be chosen at random. Um, and, yeah. you know, that led to bribery and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but, sorry, the, the Space Marines were like, we will show you what we are we will show you what we're about and we'll defend you against this harrowing process and so they uh, it takes a day i think but they go out to one of these landing sites and um the the populace are like dumping out all the criminals and chaining them up and then disappearing ready for these uh, transport ships to come off the spire and the spire was like five kilometers high so it's like enormous planet dwarfing oh, thing yeah we kind of missed that bit that the the harrowers have come a bit early this time they, they appear when the space wolves are there yeah and space wolves lose contact with their um ships in space and they uh, yeah but the harrowers have come earlier than they were expected to and so yeah they're the people were being put out for this sacrifice and the space will sort of come to that area waiting for the the aliens to to come down yeah and um they have a battle plan uh the three main space wolves um i have their names somewhere written down let me just uh scroll back up so bove is uh the the main guy uh, halvdan is another and jürgen <coughs> is another um, and they use themselves as bait, and the rest of uh, a group of about eight, so very small numbers, um, are sort of overwatching them. Yeah, and 
And so, so they carry out a, a successful ambush, basically, on this... Uh, it's a really good battle. Like, yeah. Just a small, self-contained thing. Um, there's, there's a guy... Um, He's he's like covered in ritual scars and mutilations, and it says the raiders were surrounded by a miasma of pheromones, adrenal oh, yeah. vapors, and narcotic musk. <laughs> that is an absolute old timer. Like just what because a line. It's just it's like there, it's an archetype of a line that often appears in these books. But that, that's a really good example. Adrenal of vapors and narcotic musk miasma of those things yeah, yeah. it's um, terrific and it's even getting to the space marines like they feel themselves getting lightheaded in the presence of these people so it's like a thing they use to like uh, sort of i don't know to like pacify people that they're talking to and they're really sneaky sounding and they talk in like whispers of like snakes and stuff but oh, they, yeah, they also know the language so they they can communicate and one of them says he is a lowly servant of darag shakar archon of the cabal of the shrieking heart which is a, a like a name generated name isn't it you know like <laughs> it's a bit of, but it's a good one it's a blinder so D cult name generator yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh no um so they carry out a successful ambush which then they just fucking kill them all. Like there, there is, n- there is no. These are not good aliens. Like they, they have some good technology, but the space marines just fucking rip them apart. So, it's, uh, and I think it does say at one point that like the, the, they'd kind of become complacent about when they come to this planet, yeah. the aliens, because it was so easy for them to just, um, yeah, like collect their sacrifice. The sacrifices made to them and 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 that. But uh, so they carry out this ambush, and then that leads into them. Um, carrying out a sort of campaign of guerrilla warfare against these aliens for a while, making attacks in very small numbers. I think they're going around in groups of three um, attacking uh, the aliens and trying to... Uh, so they, they release the, the, the captives that were going to be sacrificed and they try to basically say, like, spread the word, you know, yeah. um, fight back. And, and so and, and it seems like this is having some success. And, like, when they go past the what was once the sacrifice site, people are leaving out little gifts for them. And, uh, yeah, so it's just, like, bits of food and stuff because the, the only real, like, uh, limiting factor uh, for the Space Marines is their lack of ammunition lack of food and they're um they're out in like the irradiated wastelands and it's affecting their their sort of uh, immune systems and stuff they're they're okay but they're getting towards the end of their tether yeah and and there's an ongoing conversation between bouvet and at least one of his um companions um about basically like they're saying to him or one of them saying at least you know, we don't really need to be doing this. Like, they're not in the Imperium. It's not your yeah. duty to protect them. And uh, and also saying, like, basically, well, you know, in other circumstances, we might be having to, to fight them, you know, given the normal order of the, you know, the Imperium's uh, crusade to, to conquer all the human world. Um, and he's basically like, no, you know, like, uh, basically saying our, our duty is to defend all of humanity kind of thing and um 
this whole like guerrilla warfare campaign and Bovee's sort of single-mindedness, I'd, I'd say this like, and it's interesting in terms of the way the story turns out, but this is the closest, um, I think, in any of in the series so far that you've got to like a straightforwardly heroic tale of space marines, like yeah. trying to help sort of liberate um, these people from uh, aliens that literally come down to, to you know, kill slaughter them in large numbers um and uh, trying to get them to rise up and that idea of trying to you know get a rebellion um stirred up and uh and, so that, and that showing them by their you know by their actions we can make them want to join with us in in sort of brotherhood yeah and and then uh so the 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 son the the son of the uh speaker of of, of uh in the senate or whatever his position was he um, they did see some like armed members of the popular survey. They did have some sort of military, um, you know, heritage. And he uh, turns out this son, his his mother and sister were taken away by the Harrowers when he was young, and he has sort of sworn to um, train himself up to fight. And uh, he basically sends a message to the the Space Marines that he wants to join them and um hit back at the at the harrowers um which leads to a plan to uh, attack one of the big towers that they from which they launched their hunting parties where where the leader the the archon whatever his name was is supposed to be yeah that just a little bit of a, a hole in that plan is that i i just i'm not sure how they knew that he was going to be there uh, I, I don't, but because it was set up like really quite well, um, I don't really care. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm not really sure, and I wasn't sure if it's because I just like missed a bit in the audiobook, but um, I wasn't too sure either. But there they were pretty soon going to attack this, and like um, the they managed to sort of uh, uh, procure themselves uh, one of these transport ships, and um, because the space marines are so good at like flying i guess they just know how to fly it pretty much straight off the bat but no some of the some of the people on the planet are like they had some knowledge in the language of the the harrowers so they were able to like work out what the control said i think it said all the controls were written <laughs> written on the buttons yeah. <laughs> back forward uh w a s d um but yeah but they, so so um yeah, for that knowledge of the language, they say that uh, you just have to take us with you as you strike the the spire, and uh, Bove is like, "Yeah, all right, let's go, let's do this." And they, yeah, so they get up there, um, and they fight their way pretty effectively into the sort of yeah, there is uh, there is like this alien species has got zero like ways to fight back against a single Astartes. <laughs> like, they've got like they've got glaives which they um don't appear to wield very uh, <laughs> effectively in this battle. But um they they, ha- they also have um were they like called fragment guns? What were they what were they firing? Yeah, like, splinter little, guns or splinter something. Splinter yeah. guns. But like literally nobody is even hurt by one of these the entire <laughs> the entire story like they're always like ricocheting off armor and stuff even the humans don't give a shit about these ricochet guns so they're not great so they're just like the space marines just slaughter their way through to the 
uh, engine core, the power source of this spire. Yeah. And I always like to see a power source being a sort of floating crystal <laughs> suspe- <laughs> suspended in a kind of gravity field. It's a staple, but it's a good staple. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan. So, the, so yeah, they get into this this room, and the 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 big bad guy shows up, and he's he's a bit tougher. Can I can I just uh, halt you there, William? Um, okay. I want to go back to this crystal. <laughs> um, okay. It's not described in the story, but what color do you think that crystal is? In my blue. head, blue. It's blue. Oh, I'm thinking a sort of purplish. Right, well, you know, we're, we're in a similar area. White. Yeah. We're in a similar part of the... the it's spectrum. not green. No, it's I was imagining kind of white, blue. Oh, okay. Um, I, just like think, blue. I just think purple is a bit badder. There would be a bit bit of darkness about it. Um, I, don't, I know, but I can just picture it. I can picture it like in a video game. You're firing at it. It has a kind of health bar that yeah. you need to deplete to destroy this place. But um, It goes down in thirds and then... <laughs> Some sort of hard shell closes around it. You have to kill another swarm of mobs around it, and then it opens up again, and you get your rocket launcher out and fire at it. I get it. <laughs> so he's so anyway. The the big bad guy appears. He's tougher, um, but they throw him into the crystal. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> and he evaporates. And I don't know how they knew that was going to happen, but um, uh, Bulvar Bull, what's he called? Bouvet, I think. Bouvet, that's him. Bouvet knew he was taken with the powers of the wolf. Oh and yeah, knew that. So he 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 and the other space marines, yeah, do that woven thing or whatever they call it, which is like a sort of berserker rage that they go into, and uh, they. But other of his space marines had planted a bomb, so along with the crystal getting destroyed and the bomb this whole uh tower gets blown up and they sort of get out of it on on the ship they came in and came in on due to some very uh skillful piloting of one of the space marines it's quite it's quite a funny sort of picture in that um they say that the the ship doesn't so much as like take off but just drops off the edge of the platform that they're on yeah and it just is quite a funny image all the harrowers are fleeing at this point they go up to space yeah um and are uh, fleeing um now what happens first do they go back to the senate first is that yeah i think they go back there and like part of their idea behind this attack had been like and this was seemingly inspired by um bovey's knowledge of what it's like to be a raider because like basically it talks about their wives back in Fenris when before they became space wolves where they were kind of like viking raiders I guess and they uh so he's like yeah if we kill the leader it'll lead to like a big civil war amongst them over who's going to become the next leader so uh that's the kind of plan but they after they carried out the attack they go back to the senate and they kind of get ready to defend um and uh, it turns out that the attack never comes, and they kind of have a, a whole party with some uh, coyly rich wine. I think was the, <laughs> um, one of the things brought to them. And they uh, then they get word from space that the Harrowers, the Space Wolves up in space, have engaged the Harrowers and 
destroyed a lot of them and sent them the rest of them fleeing basically so and have sent uh, have sent a, a sort of a, it's called a storm blade it's a ship down into the atmosphere to pick up the space wolves yeah so it's all good and then like uh Bovey's like yep so he's gonna join the join the imperium now basically um and uh the the son of the nobles of whose name i just can't remember at all but he's like andres uh, andres he's like uh what um <laughs> and uh this i actually thought this was a really good ending because it's like it was it was moving actually yeah yeah i actually felt something here because it's like because you you've gone <laughs> you've gone from uh, like the like what i said before like a bit of these stories probably the most straightforwardly you know obviously caveats that but the, the closest to a straightforwardly heroic fight that i think there has been in these stories where um the the space marines are trying to help these people rise up against their oppressors and then they sort of the 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 guy um the son of the nobility andres he you know he he joins them in doing that and they kind of get this mutual respect and uh, they, literally calls him a brother yeah, and they they celebrate afterwards, and you and you're like, um, you know, uh, and then it's like this moment brings yeah. you back to like what the space marines are actually out doing in the universe, um, and I thought it was and pretty it, effective. It, it would have been an easy an easy ending um, to say for and just to go, yes, of course we will join, yeah. and I would have I would have accepted it as well. Like I would have totally yeah. believed it because. They know not. They know how dangerous the, uh, the 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 galaxy is, but they also have these bonds of friendship with the, their protectors now as well. Because that's yeah, like that's the thing. I was even as this bit was happening, and and uh, Bove is saying, "Look, come on now, just shake my hand, join the Imperium. It'll all be good. That's all you have to do." And um, and uh, Andrews is saying, "No," but you think he's maybe. You think he's maybe, um, you know, might change his mind, and you're actually, like I say, you're in the story. You're you're hoping he changes his mind because you're like, you know, just not yeah. because you think the Imperium's good, because you're, but you're just like, come on, don't. We don't know want... what will happen in the next ten seconds if you don't. So. Yeah, so like, um, but I think it was the better ending for the story that he he just says no, and they start like sort of, you know, readying their weapons, and then like the space wolves just instantly shoot shoot them in the face and yeah uh, just chop them up and then give the order to um the orbital ship to say they say they've um not shaken our hands they've they've not welcomed us they're not becoming part of the um imperium willingly start bombardment and the final the final line is like and many of the citizenry were still were outside still enjoying the festivities as the bombs began to fall and you're like yeah. oh and that that was the end of the story and it was like yeah i thought it was like it was a belter it did something that we've called for like this is in a more straightforward effective way than it, it happens elsewhere and just in, in like just using that sort of story to starkly illustrate what it is the imperium is doing you know and like yeah. um yeah i mean i didn't think the story was like perfect throughout as we discussed there's probably a bit at the start that didn't really need to be there but and it 
probably was too long, but um, but I thought that was a really effective ending, and like a um, it, it just worked worked very well to actually make you um, feel that kind of um, moment of of a. Uh, the space wolves just being right. Well, we're we're going to destroy you now. And uh, yeah, it's yeah. um, it, it's you had a, a short burst of heroism from the space wolves, and it just like completely undercuts it and um, really no, not undercuts, underlines the fact that um, they're not heroes. Like uh, some of their actions can appear heroic in the right circumstances. But if you do say no to them, they will destroy you. And yeah. it's uh, yeah, it hit quite hard. Um, one of my favorite pieces of uh, of writing so far, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's definitely one of the highlights of the series so far. Uh, so, so that's just two stories we've covered out of the seven in this book, and we're like quite a bit over an hour. So we're wondering whether we should do all the five other ones in. As we normally would divide just a book into two, and do the first half in in one week and then the um, second half two weeks later, but but we've e- pretty easily managed to spend over an hour talking about two stories. So I'm wondering whether we should do um, a, a three and a two or a two and a three. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I guess we'll see. We'll see how how it goes as we read them. They could be short yeah. ones and they could be really bad ones. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see how it goes, but um, yeah, that's been fun to do something uh, a little bit different than the normal uh, novels. Yeah, and so, w- in the coming month or so, we will probably have an opportunity to record a live uh, podcast, won't we, Will? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'm, I'm going to be going down to London, so we'll be able to do something so special. We'll, we'll have a th- <laughs> special. So we'll have a think about what to record. If anybody has any suggestions, um, let us know. Uh, you can reach us at horseheretics at gmail dot com. Uh, tell your friends about the podcast. Uh, write reviews for us. It it really does help. We see the numbers go up whenever people write reviews, so that would be really helpful. Um, but obviously, the main thing is uh, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. It's crazy that you are. You should thank be. you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we'll we'll see you next time, or hear, or you'll you'll hear us next time. Good, nice one. See ya. <laughs>